You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Ukraine girds for more Russian hacking. British crypto policy moves closer to key escrow. The Drydex banking trojan picks up DNS cache poisoning capability. Perception Point finds a serious Linux kernel bug. Oracle, Apple, Linux, Bind, and Yahoo issue patches. Lloyd's issues guidelines for common cyber risk data. Chinese cyber espionage is directed against the latest U.S. fighter aircraft. And the U.S. Congressional Research Service recommends lawmakers take a closer look at cybersecurity in executive agencies. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, January 20th, 2016. Wired offers a summary of everything known about the Ukrainian power grid hack. The big takeaway is that it was indeed a hack. A researcher from University College London reports dangerous weaknesses in a voice encryption protocol Her Majesty's government is pushing on suppliers. Stephen Murdoch argues that the Mickey Saki protocol would have service providers holding a master decryption key. And Mickey Saki stands for Multimedia Internet Keying Saki Kasaharaki Encryption. Easy for you to say. The government doesn't call it key escrow, but Murdoch thinks that's what it amounts to. The report on Mikisaki appears as parliamentary debate over the investigatory powers bill continues. The Home Office continues to disavow any intention of weakening encryption, instead representing the key escrow approach as serving both privacy and investigative needs, subject to warrants, appropriate oversight, and so on. There are no major policy moves reported in the U.S. and no new shots in the crypto wars between the Beltway and the Valley, but the Congressional Research Service has advised legislators to require more reporting on cybersecurity from the executive agencies. IBM's ForceX notes an evolution in the long-familiar Drydex banking trojan. Drydex is now using DNS cache poisoning to redirect traffic to clones of some 13 British bank sites. Researchers at Perception Point discover and disclose a serious Linux kernel bug that could allow remote, unauthenticated users root access to affected devices. The flaw appeared in Linux version 3.8, released in 2013. Patches are coming this week, but the notorious difficulty of pushing updates to endpoints makes it a lead-pipe cinch that the vulnerability will persist for the foreseeable future. Personal computers, servers, and Android devices are all at risk. Phishing attempts seek to spread the Gaza cyber gang's dust sky persistent spyware to targets in Israel, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates and Iraq. Phishing and other social engineering approaches are implicated in other attacks, including attempts to harvest credentials from LastPass. LastPass has patched the flaw that enabled exploitation. Other significant patches released this week include updates from Apple for iOS, OS X, El Capitan, and Safari, Oracle, Yahoo Mail, and Bind. 
Laggards determined to struggle along with old versions of Internet Explorer get some good news. Trend Micro says it will continue to offer protection for the more venerable versions of Microsoft IE. Yahoo paid a reported $10,000 in bug bounty for the Yahoo Mail vulnerability. Those of you interested in finding and disclosing the bugs that get patched might be interested in consulting Anissa's newly released set of best practices for disclosure. The cybersecurity of acquisition targets gets larger in M&A due diligence. Prospective buyers of banks in particular are giving close scrutiny to security posture before buying. Actuaries and accountants are playing a larger role in such scrutiny. Lloyd's releases a set of common core data requirements for cyber risks, and more firms work toward credible, quantified ways of putting a price tag on cyber value at risk. Students at Cornell are working on sarcasm detection, which they see as a means of improving the quality of online reviews. Like that's going to work. In industry news, Iron Scales and Threat Quotient announced new rounds of venture funding, and Symantec's sale of Veritas to the Carlyle Group will, it seems, be less pricey for Carlyle. About $1 billion less pricey, according to reports. In cybercrime and punishment, Chinese military officers and an accomplice in Canada are accused of attempting to hack into technical information related to development of the U.S. F-5 Joint Strike Fighter. The Canadian accomplice awaits extradition to the United States. The Chinese principals? Well, they're in China. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. Joining me is Jonathan Katz, professor of computer science at the University of Maryland. He's also the director of the Maryland Cybersecurity Center. They're one of our academic and research partners. Jonathan, uh, I want to talk about authentication today. Let's start off. Uh, give me a definition. What is authentication? Well, very simply, authentication is a mechanism that allows a user to prove who they are, to prove their identity to another system. So we're all familiar with this idea uh, of logging into a website, logging into a bank uh, site, uh, logging into access your email, and those are all, before doing so, you need to authenticate yourself to prove that you're the person that should have access to that information. At the most basic level, we've got passwords, and then we've got multi-factor uh, authentication. So as, as as authentication gets more sophisticated, what are the ways we can protect ourselves? Yeah, I, as you know, passwords are, are here, and they seem here to stay, uh, even with all their problems. And so that's why people are now recommending uh, that users use two-factor authentication to uh, make the authentication process more secure. 
And uh, at the most basic level, this might involve uh, using a password in conjunction with some information on your mobile phone, for example. Uh, Google, uh, as an example, offers two-factor authentication where they'll use uh, some information, uh, a code that comes up on your phone, uh, in addition to your password before they'll allow you in. And this can make uh, users a, a lot more secure because it's a lot harder than for an attacker to both guess the user's password and also figure out the code from their uh, cell phone. Do you ever see us coming to a time when we're not going to be using passwords anymore? Is there anything on the horizon that could replace them? Well, I think passwords are going to be here for a while, but I do think that uh, people are working on uh, newer forms of this two-factor authentication, uh, all relying uh, for now on mobile phones because of the fact that people are carrying them around with them all the time. So you can have uh, a code popping up on your phone. You can have a text message being sent to your phone. You can rely on geographical information about where the user is. You can rely uh, potentially on an IP address of a person's computer. Uh, but I do think that those are all still going to be used in conjunction with a password for the foreseeable future. And what kind of advice would you give to people who are looking to, to shore up their security when it comes to authentication? Well, really, there are two things. I mean, the first is to demand two-factor authentication and to use two-factor authentication when it's available. Um, I, I mentioned earlier that Google allows users to use two-factor authentication, and I would recommend that. Uh, some banks now are also offering two-factor authentication, although not all of them. Uh, on the other side, when you have a, a site that does not offer two-factor authentication, you should take some steps to make sure that your password is not easily guessable, uh, even if that means actually coming up with a complicated password and then writing it down on a piece of paper that you keep in your wallet. Uh, these days, that can actually be, a, be more secure than using a weak password that you can remember, but that hackers can easily guess. All right, Jonathan Katz, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the CyberWire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. here. At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to share your feedback now. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud. 
the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Cyberwire. 